0: Hello, my name is Amy Robinson, and welcome to I'm Fine Thanks, a series of heart-to-hearts delving into all things mental health. Today's episode, I'm speaking to fashion designer, TV presenter, and activist, Amal Fashanu. Amal has been an avid campaigner fighting against homophobia and racial discrimination in the world of football since 2012, after she created an award-winning documentary for the BBC called Britain's Gay Footballers, in memory of her uncle, Justin Fashionou. This episode really got me thinking about the importance of support within community and how much we as humans have this undenying need to belong. However, what makes someone belong seems to be governed by what our society deems norm or what our religion deems is correct. We sometimes don't realise how much that we're being governed by these subconscious barriers that we just forget to see the human being that's in front of us for who they are. Hopefully in time we can remove these labels that we seem to need to place upon people and just accept people for who they are something that Amal has been doing in the world of football for over a decade and here she is to tell us about the Justin New foundation that she founded just last year. Amal New, welcome to I'm Fine Thanks. Hi Amal.
1: Hi Amy. <laughs>
0: Thank you so much for coming and talking to me today.
1: You're very welcome.
0: It's quite funny because I reached, I remember reaching out to you at the beginning of the year of 2020 for this conversation. And since then, since I first reached out, we've had the BBC bring out documentaries with Prince William, such as the Prince William Football and Mental Health And we're seeing how our future monarch is now utilising the sport as a vehicle to be getting people to be talking about mental health and getting men's to talk. So I feel like this conversation right now is so topical.
1: Yes, very relevant. So
0: relevant. And I feel like given, obviously, that you have been an avid campaigner for nearly a decade for exactly this conversation about tackling prejudice and homophobia and racial abuse. So for you now in 2020 seeing these sorts of documentaries coming out I had to ask how does that how does that make you feel?
1: Well, extremely happy and I feel like, you know, all my kind of raising awareness and talking and campaigning is is kind of finally coming to fruition in a way we need to tackle these things and we need to talk about it and the more we open up about these things and the more we educate we're gonna effectively have a a whole generation of people who can openly talk about mental health. And if they are suffering mental health, they can open up without finding it so difficult and finding it so much of a taboo. My friend Marvin Sordell, he was actually in Williams' documentary, You know, he was a footballer who suffered from mental health and he decided to retire because of it. I just think it's incredible that someone like William, who obviously has incredible power, can effectively change minds, would get involved in something like Mm. that. And it's evident that we need it. And what better time than now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So to provide a bit of a background to anyone who may not be as familiar So you founded the Justin Fashionu Foundation in 2019, a foundation set to tackle homophobia and racism within the football community. And the foundation is named after your uncle, Justin Fashionu, who took his life 22 years ago. He was Britain's first million pound black footballer and first openly gay footballer, two massive milestones which should have changed the face of football and instead sadly resulted him to taking his life. Now, I mean, now here we are 22 years later since his passing and 30 years since his coming out and we have still not seen one single openly gay or bisexual male footballer in the Premier League. Yes. Hearing me even say that how what what's is the, what comes to your mind when I'm saying that
1: it gives me goosebumps to be honest I just feel how sad is it that within the football game that, that there hasn't been able to be someone who can be who they really are you know we know there are gay footballers and it's not really a question this is statistic you know you've got a team of x amount of men uh, you know one in five are going to be gay it's just how it is The fact that they can't come out and the fact that we haven't actually seen progress in that way, it's extremely sad. And it just leads us to thinking and knowing essentially that within the football game, there is a problem. There is an issue and we need to tackle that issue. Mm. And since my documentary in 2012, I would have expected someone to come out and mm, this hasn't happened On a more positive note, I have had footballers come to the foundation and seek help and seek advice. And, you know, they have openly said that they are gay, which is something that's positive. And that even though they haven't come out to the public domain, the fact that they've come out to us as a foundation or to me, Mm -hmm. it means that we are, we're not far away from that, right? So it might be the case of next year or in the next two years that a footballer who is currently playing decides to come out. We have had people like Thomas Hitzberger. You know, there's a few others who have come out. But sadly, it's been when they have retired. yeah, retired and after living the limelight and whatever. And then they've felt like they wanted to be true to themselves. Hmm. But the secret here is that you should be able to be comfortable to be true to yourself yeah. whilst you're in, your, in the best part of your career. Because yeah. that's beautiful. And the fact that you can't do that, there's definitely a problem.
0: Yeah, I actually pulled out a letter which came out to press in July, which references the Justin Fashionu Foundation, taking a snippet out of the letter. It says, I feel trapped and my fear in disclosing the truth about what I am will only make things worse. The Professional Footballers Association say they are ready to help a player to come out and have said they will offer counselling and support to anyone who needs it. This is missing the point. If I need a counsellor, I can go and book a session with one when I want. What those running the game need to educate fans, players, managers, agents, club owners, basically everyone involved in the game. If I was to make that step, I'd want to know that I would be supported at each step of my journey. Right now, I don't feel I would be. I wish I didn't have to live my life in such a way. But the reality is that there is a huge amount of prejudice in football. As things stand, my plan is to carry on playing for as long as I feel able to and then come out when I have retired. It was great last month to see Thomas Beattie raise his hand and admit that he was gay, but the fact that he had to wait until retirement tells us all you need to know. Footballers are still too scared to make the step while they are playing. For the past year, I've been getting support from the Justin Fashionu Foundation, not least to cope with the toll that this this is having on my mental health. Without that support, I really don't know where I'd be now. I know I might get to the point where I find it impossible to keep living a lie. If I do, I plan to retire early and come out. I might be throwing away years of lucrative career, but you can't put a price on, on peace of mind. And I don't want to live like this forever." I literally had shivers when I read that. I was like, yeah. the fact that he is in a position where that that's gonna have an effect on their professional life. And if you're looking, what I, I mean, there's always rumors circling on there about gay footballers. I would love to think now, if Justin was here and Justin was coming out of 2020, that he'd be dubbed a hero. But then you see rumors such as, like, I mean, I don't know if it, you know, who knows, maybe it is true, maybe it's not, it doesn't really matter. But the rumors circling around Ashley Cole when he was gay and the abuse yeah. he got to the point that inflatables were banned from stadiums because of abuse chance and, and, You know, you just think, well, actually, if someone was to come out now, maybe it'd have the same reaction to 30 years ago. What do you think?
1: I mean, I'm not going to lie. Maybe that would be the reaction. But the problem is, is that, you know, you can have all the money that you want, but essentially you're never going to be happy. I would be very naive to say that if a footballer came out now, that no one would care. They are going to care. They care if he's cut his hair or shaved it. In football, that's the kind of world that we've created. We we care about our idols. We're fans of a team. And then next minute, you know, we want to know who he's married and, and how he's married and how many kids he has and what hairstyle he has. And so there will be a certain level of interest and it will be, it will be big, but it's not a negative thing necessarily. And I do feel like footballers now, they think, oh, if I come out, you know, they're going to re- remember me as the gay footballer who came out instead of as the top goal scorer. But in essence, that is who you are. So you should be proud of who you are and you should be able to say who you are and feel proud of that. Mm. And the fact that you can't, it just says a lot. And it also says a lot about them and how much mental abuse and fear that these players must have in order to get to the point where they actually think it's better to be who you're not and continue to live a lie to everyone around you until you retire... (laughs) I mean you could retire at thirty something, you know, late thirties, late early forties even. Does that mean that you've lived how many years of of you being who you're essentially not? Yeah. It's it's unfair.
0: And with football so for example, I'll just reflect on the person Mm -hmm. who wrote this letter. How does what does the support look like from the foundation? to help them with this journey?
1: Well, the foundation, essentially, what it's trying to do is to create a roadmap as to if you were a gay footballer, what do you do? Who do you go to? And how does this process happen? I want to make them feel comfortable. So I would like to be able to say, oh, okay, well, this is where you have to go. This is where you seek advice, whether it's within the foundation or whether it's at the PFA or at the FA. I would like to just help them. And I say help in every kind of way, whether it's 5am or four in the morning phone call to me who I personally counsel them and I try my best to help them feel supported and help them feel they're not alone, which is sometimes just a lot of the work because it's very simple. We're human. and. Feel like with footballers because they're earning so much money, we detach them from the actual humans themselves. Yeah, we dehumanize, yeah, them. We dehumanize them, and it, it's difficult because if we see them as this glamorous person on the pitch and earning so much money, then it's hard for us to understand that on the other side, they feel lonely. And a lot of footballers go to training, come back and they're playing PlayStation all day. And then from two o'clock, they have nothing else to do. And then when they have nothing else to do, their mind keeps on thinking. And then if you keep on thinking, you tap into your mental state quite a lot and you start feeling lonely and you start feeling like you don't know what to do and who to go to. And just that simple phone call means a lot to them you could have a phone call that changes someone's life and they could be on the verge of committing suicide and you know they give me one call and I'm not saying me in like particularly me but they could call the foundation yeah or having that that option to call someone that's amazing because that could actually prevent someone from from doing something that would be detrimental
0: Uh, that was one of the things that stuck out for me one of the most on your BBC documentary that came out in 2012, Britain's Gay Footballers, when you were reading out the letter that your uncle gave. And it seemed the strongest thing for me that stuck out was that lack of support.
1: I'm Mm. assuming
0: that support has been what's driven to start this foundation to make sure that we're able to Help that person feel supported through that journey so that that way when they've decided to become that most vulnerable moment, that they're being held.
1: Exactly. A lot of people associate him committing suicide to him coming out. But we have to remember he came out in the 90s, right? 1990. So from then to when he committed suicide, it was over eight years. With Justin, it was the fact that, you know, he was black, he was religious, he was gay They're three very big, conflicting, at times, subjects and and, and things that the fact that he wasn't supported meant that he didn't know what else to do and who to because if normally you feel a bit out of place I feel like you could rely on religion for example you could go to church and there's like a support system and sometimes you feel like it's your own family but if your family aren't there like in Justin's case I wasn't old enough to be there he just felt like he had nowhere to turn to and nowhere to go and who would he call so the fact that the foundation can be there and say look if you guys just even want just a phone call we're going to be here
0: yeah that was something I was curious to ask because obviously everyone has their own story everyone has their own journey and you know the foundation works with not just professionals but also grassroots so given there's such a variant indif- differations with egos we're talking about ages we're talking about is there anything that you find a similarity or an ongoing theme that you see across the board
1: I've just noticed that communication within the football world is difficult you never really know where you stand and if it's the real truth or not so I just feel like sometimes you know I I speak to a lot of footballers and they're like you know it's fine if one of our teammates came out as gay we wouldn't care but I sometimes feel that's on the surface because I'm not sure about the day-to-day and the reality of it the recurring thing within football is that it's a very secretive world and it's a world dominated essentially by money and power Mm -hmm. and so whoever has the money and the power they are the ones who are going to be ruling and depending on that that is how it kind of filters down so if at the top there are archaic older white men sitting in very prominent positions Mm -hmm. then it's going to filter down into a different ideology as yeah. opposed to if there was a black or ethnic minority or, you know, a female. It's going to be different. So yeah. I would say that, you know, a lot has to do with the the big people who take those big decisions.
0: Do you think that's where the the problem predominantly lies because if you look at like other sports like rugby even you know rugby were very good at really embracing their gay players do you think the problem is the chance the fans the managers the footballers themselves the locker rooms or does it as you were saying do you do you feel it starts from the top
1: well the thing is is that rugby has nothing to do with football I know it's a sport football is very we are the best. This is who we are. And we hold the money. We hold the power. The amount of people viewing football is completely different to the amount of people viewing rugby. The amount of money is completely different. I interviewed Gareth Thomas in my documentary. Gareth was saying that he actually has earned more money coming out than being the captain of, you know, the rugby team. So it, it comes to show that within rugby, it's something that it's more accepted. It's something that people don't really, they're not really that fussed.
0: So do you think it's a bit of a lack of education? Like, I think if we're talking about the audience, how would we go about educating the fans to change the dialogue around discrimination for sexual orientation?
1: To be fair, I think it's happening now as we speak. So I think that what's actually happening is as time passes and as new generations of people are learning about football and about mental health and about homophobia, This is happening. And Mm -hmm. I have hope that eventually in the next 10 years, this is going to be something that we're not really going to talk about that much because it's just going to be happening and everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But as of now, education is key. And I guess this starts at grassroots levels. So this would start in schools and this would start also at home i 'm sure that there's not one particular thing that will be the catalyst it 's about many things in tandem happening together yeah. that will happen. so it could be a case that these archaic figures of the Premier League and all these governing bodies might retire and, and then new people, are coming. new people are come filtering through so new mentalities it might mean that there might be more black ethnic minority managers, which right now there aren 't many you know. I just have that hope that that will happen by itself and through education in the long run and raising awareness.
0: I bet also though, when you're hearing someone say to you, "So what's going to be the change?" Be like, "Excuse me, I've been trying to work on this for ten years." Yes, that's why I'm like, (laughs) I have no idea what the change
1: is going to be because I'm trying. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's really difficult. It's very difficult.
0: (laughs) What do you think? Perhaps the PFA and FA could be doing
1: more. I just think that they they need to essentially invest more money into this and make it a bit more serious. So if you're serious, nowadays I feel like people associate money with, okay, if they've invested X amount of money, it's because they're serious about this subject. If they see something going wrong in a stadium or whatever, if they ban someone for life, that's serious. If you ban someone for a week and a half, that's not that serious. Mm. It allows people to continue to do whatever they were doing because it's it's worth the abuse. Because yeah. in their mind, they're like, well, we're throwing our opponent off for what, a week and a half of ban, mm. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I think the measures have to be a bit firmer, more drastic. more drastic. I think that the PFA, the FA, if they continue to raise awareness with people like the Justin Fashiony Foundation, which is us, or Stonewall, Kick It Out, uh, proud Canaries. It's a case of everyone coming together and saying, you know, we're not going to stand for this. And we have the Premier League and FA and PFA behind us saying the same thing. So it's almost about everyone coming together, unanimously, all of us together saying this is wrong. We are actually going to to do something about it and we're not just going to let it slide. Well,
0: I th- yeah, I think it's a very good point. The more drastic the penalties almost are because... I mean, there's some of the chants that you're hearing. Like, I actually overheard... I had an interview with your dad, and your dad was actually talking about some of the chants that he was getting when Justin had come out. And, and even he said uh, in Good Morning Britain that he was getting this even a few years ago. Yeah. That the, the chance that he was getting was something like, you know, he's going to be getting it up, the, you know, all those sorts of chants. How I just don't understand how football is allowing that sort of language to be used within the stadiums, and especially when we're talking about that 30, 12, 22 years ago, a man committed suicide for this. And if a suicide is not enough, it, it's, a, it's a scary thought to think what is, yeah. And I think, but I think also talking about money, when you're putting a figurehead, a dollar head on the individual you're starting to dehumanize them anyways and we need to start seeing footballers and layers as you were saying that they have families they have kids they have grandkids and when you start seeing a human being and not you know a dollar sign that has a good kick Mm -hmm. (laughs) humanizing these individuals and i think by them maybe you know coming out or telling their stories you know even just that letter We're already seeing a human being, or I know I am, when I'm reading that saying, This is a man who is hiding and who is living a lie. And it was horrendous to have to read that. And now I'm starting to see that person already in a different layer. So I think, hopefully, you know, obviously what we're seeing with your foundation as well is that being able to give those stepping stones to be able to be heard and start seeing people for more than just what they are on the football pitch is going to be a massive difference. But I'm curious for our generation. So for example, I've, I feel like there's a massive responsibility on our generation to set the change. Like mm. we, we know more now. We have far more awareness. We know about mental health. We can see what this is doing to people. We have yeah. more awareness and knowledge of, of this more than ever than any other generation. So it's up to us to set the example. What would your advice be for fans like myself to be more conscious of when we're talking about these topics.
1: I think it's exactly what you said. It's just about being conscious that this is a job for these guys. Like they are humans doing a job essentially. And, you know, you have Raheem Sterling, you have a lot of other footballers who are starting to say, okay, this is not the way we are going to speak up and we're going to actually talk about our feelings and how this has made us feel. And I think that is an important catalyst to change because then that means that we can see these footballers as less of a commodity uh, and more seeing them as a human and saying, okay, well, actually, you know, his family are upset about this. This and maybe I should have a bit more respect when I'm in the stadium instead of hurling abuse at him because actually that could affect his son. And it's an it's a awkward situation.
0: It's having that awareness. and But I also, talking about when we were mentioning about rumours that circulate around footballers who are maybe gay, maybe not gay, we have no idea. I There's rumours about Cristian Ronaldo. Yeah. And I just think it would he is one of the world's best football players. And... I almost, I really hope he is because he could set such an opportunity because also they start going, no, a gay footballer can still be one of the fucking best in the world.
1: I pray for this day, every single day of my life, if Ronaldo was to come out, he would be the epitome of not hero. It would just be something completely amazing, incredible because he is one of the best footballers ever seen. And he would be that role model to open up that door.
0: And also because, I I mean, I don't understand necessarily why there is such a stigma, but is it almost because people think that oh if if you're gay you're not going to be as good as football so if the best person you'd be like oh
1: look he's actually yeah it would it would it would hush every single theory possible about you know if you're gay you're more feminine and therefore if you're more feminine you're more delicate and if you're more delicate you can't play football that well and you know all of that kind of stigma would go out the window in two seconds and it's like look one of the most powerful um, you know fittest uh, everything positive within football that's what he would be and he's gay so what
0: i'm reading this book at the moment by glennon doyle called untamed and she talks about how gender specific emotions have been basically labeled Mm -hmm. so that society can put people in boxes very true and it's so that people like the massive corporations can be able to target us you know whether it's advertising marketing so it's so much easier to and also so that to be quite frankly, the white middle class, upper class men can still be ruling the world. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, that's why my brand Black Heart Label, I decided to make it black and white and I actually never use any rainbows or any pink colours or any purple colours because there's this another stigma in regards to, okay, if you're gay, you're going to wear pink. If you're gay, you're going to wear rainbows. If you're gay, you're going to act some sort of way. What do you mean? Like, Justin was gay and he would never wear pink and he would never wear rainbows and he wasn't airy-fairy jumping in your face all the time and he was actually quite what you consider masculine you know he was very relaxed it's it's
0: do you think when the day comes that's the second open gay after justin that there will be a following straight after that of suddenly everyone
1: i i don't really think so you know what it will do is essentially paved the way as to how a footballer would deal with it and what type of pressures he would have to deal with right now in 2020. It was very different when Justin came out. I mean, it was the 90s. It was completely different. So whoever comes out now, I think they would be paving like the new wave of what would happen. So that letter that was seen in the sun, for example, that helped that player to, without necessarily saying his name and coming forward and coming out, that helped him to see what would happen so it's like essentially a test run for him mm. where it was like I don't need to put my name out there I don't need to say who I am and how and when but if I put this out I can then for the next three days read the comments on the Sun's website and see attitudes look at Twitter see what's going on mm. and get a general kind of sense as to you know if I was to come out within the next year what would be the reaction mm. and that is because there is no roadmap and because no one has done this before, apart from Justin, and mm. Justin came out in the nineties. So I keep on saying, it's like we need a Justin now wow. in twenty twenty to to show people you're not going to be committing suicide. Mm. You know, yes, you might suffer from mental health, and but that might be anyway. And a lot of footballers aren't gay and suffer from mental health. Yeah,
0: you know? I think also it's not it also it's not up to the in, it's not up to the individual who comes out. It's up to us as society and the environment and the community to embrace them so that they are able to. Yeah. And I think that's what something that hopefully people become aware of because we have to set, take the responsibility back. It's not the responsibility of the individuals to have to be disclosing themselves. It's because they are not having a safe space to be able to be fully themselves. And we as a generation and as a society, as a community have to hold that space for them.
1: Yeah. And also to condition like the environment so that when a footballer does come out, that we're all kind of semi ready to understand them and know what to say. And, you know, there's certain level of jokes that you can make, but there's other jokes that, you know, are just not, tasteful and just hurtful so that's where as well there's a bit of banter within football and we always say you know where's that line how do we draw the line you know I could go to a stadium and say oh you yeah I don't know something less offensive just to throw the opponent off but then as soon as I'm like delving into his race or into his religion or into his sex it's almost like it's gone too far now
0: yeah there was a piece that i read of yours in the sunday times where you mentioned gay footballers clearly have no faith that they will be supported i urge the game's governing bodies to join us in creating a detailed plan to help players who may want to come out and feel safe in doing so if this does not happen we may wait another 30 years before football joins the modern age
1: even you know things like an advert or things like things that kind of make footballers even today so say someone like David Beckham I've never really seen like these footballers go on tv and say look it's okay to be gay in football Mm. you know and I think it's a lot of it we need to see those things so that's why I say whether it's as a campaign or as an advert we need to see the FA David Beckham you know important figures within football saying this is what it is yeah and a lot of the times as soon as you have something like that, that also opens up a whole nother layer. Mm. And it does make us as viewers as well, be like, right, this is something that we should start helping towards and, you know, be concerned about.
0: Well, we're already seeing how much of an impact it's happening, seeing Prince William speaking to these global football stars, just talking about mental health. Yes. It's like, okay, well, how can we bring the sexual orientation into that conversation?
1: Well, this is another thing that, so you've got in a football team, you've got more than half suffering from mental health, three quarters who would be black, but we can't see that they're gay. We don't know that they're gay.
0: Yeah,
1: It's something that you can hide for as long as you want to until you decide. So it's that silent, unseen issue that unless someone comes up with it, all we can do is try and condition, but it's never going to be enough because there's not that one person who bounce off of and, and understand what's going on to try and support them and help them.
0: I watched an interview with Justin, and he said what really drove him on the pitch was he was almost he was representing the black community. He said, "I want people to one day see me and know that this is something they can dream of," because obviously he was the first million-pound black player. Yeah, and you know I just think now over three decades (laughs) later, Mm. yes, we're seeing more black football players boy, the racial abuse is still there. It's very, very, very prevalent. How much do you see racial anxiety within the Justin Fashionu Foundation?
1: I think, you know, Justin suffered mental health. He was black and he was gay. So for Justin, it was like three big things in himself that was difficult to manage. So I think Justin, for the black community, he was a big role model. But when he came out, that steered a lot of people away because within the black community, it's still very much a taboo because of the culture and religion that it's not deemed good to be gay hmm. so for justin i think it was a big shame because i think he felt rejected from every community in his life hmm. being you know his own family being his religion be there wasn't really many places for him to turn to whereas my dad at least had the black community he had his family so regardless it was just about race
0: it's quite mad because i like, i am very ashamed to say this I really thought r- racism was a thing of the past. You know, be, mm. I've lived in London for many years now. It's so multicultural and I just didn't think racism was a thing. And then this year, obviously, we've, through the death of George Floyd, we saw a uproar. The world woke up. Yeah. And me included, because mm. I realized, bloody hell, this is actually still a thing. And I saw a piece in Vogue, which was where they featured your picture where you were protesting the day yeah. after George Floyd's death. And I read the piece and oh my God, the piece, she, this journalist, yeah, anyway, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I can't even say it get the words <laughs> out as to like, it hit me so hard. But one sentence that, I act, that actually made me well up was that the journalist wrote, I'm tired of having to explain why my life should be valued. Let's just sit with that for a moment. Yeah. How explaining why my life should be valued, the fact that there is any human that has to justify their existence, actually, like, even though it makes me well up now just thinking about yeah. it. Like, I just find that so tragic. How are we still seeing this? It made me realize, it made me fear that I've realized what a blinkered life I've lived because it's just not a discrimination I've had to live with myself. I I had to ask, how much have you felt that within your lifetime?
1: I've lived a lot of racism. When I would have any kind of dispute with a kid, the first thing that was going to be screamed at me was, you, black, whatever. And that just becomes part of your day-to-day. And growing up in Madrid, I realised that they're just not in touch with it, but that's not my fault. That's Mm. not my problem and I don't have the problem, you know, and it's only now that I'm older, I'm so happy with who I am and I am mixed race and whether you like it or not, you know what I mean? That's what I'm always gonna be. Mm. So it was a difficult period though, because my mom's white and obviously all my family's white and I was mixed race in Spain, in Madrid, and effectively there was not one single mixed racial black person in my school Mm. or in my area. And I'm quite ashamed and sad to say that until I was 19 years old, I barely had a black friend. Hmm. In a way, it's crazy because I've I've lived as a white person, not being a white person, being not accepted, but Hmm. at the same time... Being accepted and just moving on. Mm. So it, it's hard. When George Floyd incident happened, for example, I felt it deep within me because not only because I'm half black, but because wow, you know, we're in 2020 and we're still having to talk about this issue. And I was actually going for a walk, and all of a sudden, I started to hear helicopters, and I saw crowds. I actually said, "Let's go see what's happening." Next minute, I was like, "Right." we're marching. And I felt it so deep that I was actually featured on Sky News. And (laughs) (coughs) there is, there is my friend who basically in Puerto Rico sent the video to my mom in Madrid. So from Puerto Rico to Madrid and said, this girl looks like your daughter. And my mom goes, no, no, that is my daughter. And the way I felt, I I start getting like excited now because I genuinely felt like We were in that moment in time, Mm. we were protesting and we were being heard and it was being voiced. And for the first time there was so many white people with me there Hmm. that it made me feel even more powerful because this isn't just a problem between white versus black. This is a problem that we all have as a community Hmm. and in this world. And we were actually all together at that time. And honestly, you don't even want to see the piece because I started screaming. They were trying to interview me and I couldn't stay still because I just was like going with it because I felt it so much. And it it was incredible time. I mean, it's a very big shame that someone had to die In order to get to this point, because we don't need to push it that far, you know, in order to understand and see that this is wrong. And the way that we're living right now, especially in the States, it's completely wrong. Hmm. I must admit, in the UK, I don't think I feel like it's as much of a problem as in America. Yeah. But it still is. And I feel what it is in the UK is that it's a more passive aggressive type of racism, where it's they won't be racist to your face, but they will be racist behind and around the scenes Hmm. so
0: it's interesting when you were saying how it's more prominent in america or we see it to be more prominent in america than here because i think a bit like when we're talking about fa cup it starts from the top doesn't it Mm -hmm. if we've got someone leading a country such as donald trump vocalizing and almost encouraging discrimination and then that gets filtered into the nation. Because, I mean, you know, once upon a time, not even that long ago, there was a black president.
1: <laughs> yes. And how yes. quickly
0: within the four years.
1: Everything's the, changed. The,
0: yeah, the dialogue has changed within the nation. So it's showing how when there's these sort of conversations happening, how we need to be aiming for the top for it to be able to trickle down. But, yes. So this week I was on a bit of a high because between the foundation, the unnamed gay Premier League football player writing a letter to say that unless it was changing the environment, he would come out as gay. Prince William opening up about the dialogue with mental health amongst men and utilising football as a vehicle. I was like, yes, I'm in the midst of change. I'm on this high. Yeah. And then a couple of days ago, I then read this piece in The Guardian. Mm-hmm. And it gave the, some of the statistics have been pulled from kick it out and it was saying that this year racial abuse is up 53 percent in the sport since last year and 95 percent up up in sexual orientation abuse wow this year in football that's you can imagine my height just yeah. i was like oh 95 percent 90- up I was like, are we going backwards? I was like, no, no, no. So, so yeah, I didn't want to necessarily just completely put a little complete shitter in it. How are we in 2020, 95% up in sexual orientation abuse? And I think that's a figure that, I mean, I found it so mind boggling that I had to say it because I was like, People just need to be aware, maybe this abuse, because also we don't know necessarily where these stats have come from, we don't know what they mean, but they could be as simple as the chance. What we need to be really considering is what we are saying. If we think about what we're saying when we're in an office space to our bosses, why are we not thinking about what we're saying when a football stadium?
1: It's because genuinely, like, there's something within football, it makes you, the the level of aggression in the stadiums is so high Mm. i've seen fathers of my friends who are important prominent people in business be in a meeting completely normal everything very educated very under control leaving the office entering a stadium and it's a free for all Mm. I've never seen this this change. It's almost like a phenomenon. You're a father, first of all. You're the boss of a multinational company, and you're here saying fairy airy to the players. You're racially abusing. It's almost like you go into the stadium, you forget who you are. uh, If you ever had, it's it's incredible, and and I'm not sure why. And is it because we've allowed this behaviour in stadiums? Is it? Well, if they
0: if they clamped down on it, it couldn't happen and as you were saying earlier yeah. more drastic measures measures have to be put in place so yeah so bringing back to the foundation what you know as we were saying there is a real responsibility of our generation to be setting this example so if there was one top tip that you could be giving a fan that can be helping the individuals like the individual you're helping now who wrote that letter what can we be doing more To help that person.
1: I just feel like when you're in the stadium, check yourself. Know who you are. You wouldn't be screaming this in any other type of place. Mm. The stadium isn't... We're not in gladiators. This is not Roman times. You're not screaming and they're lions and this is not how it works. Mm. So you need to understand that. If you have a kid or if you had a brother and they were doing that to your brother, you would not like it. So all you have to do is respect Respect is very important. And regardless of your education, if you have that ground respect and those morals, you wouldn't be doing these type of things. You have to remember in certain environments who you are and what you actually want to project. Mm. And we don't want to project that, especially within the game. It's meant to be a game. It's meant to be a game. Mm. Be a game. Fun. Yeah, fun, <laughs> happy. Yeah, so playing as well. <laughs> yeah, this is like, It's become literally like gladiators and they're going to die. Mm. That's not the case. And in any case, if you're not educated, maybe educate 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 yourself, you know, go out and research for yourself and understand that you're actually causing a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. And it's unnecessary. And we don't need that in 2020. And Mm -hmm. you wouldn't like that to happen to any of your family members. So as long as that you have that in your mind yeah. understand that even when we're joking around you don't make jokes about black people you don't make jokes about gay people you just don't do that because it's just not funny so people need to know where their boundaries are and just to know themselves because i genuinely think that if people could check themselves i think the whole world would be a bit better
0: I hope I hope you can help others as well writing more letters like that one because I know for me I can only speak for myself, but how how much it hit me that this individual is at the expense of having to change his life because he's not feeling safe to come out, that already is starting to make you humanise the people on the pitch.
1: 100%. So
0: I really hope we start to see more of those letters coming through because the more we will, we'll start realising the impact these chants are having on these people. Mm -hmm. And my last question was going to be also for any advice because I think one of my biggest things also with talking about I think football's really missing a trick because if they don't be chained if they're not changing this topic this environment also it's going to be missing out on two different ways the game itself is going to miss out on so much talent because individuals are not going to want to go to that sport who are gay that could be incredibly talented exactly. but they're going to go i'm staying well away from that sport because and they don't are. want to yeah
1: right now i know kids who are gay and will not play football because they do not feel safe and they do not feel like it's an environment for them what a shame. Yeah. This could be another Messi, another Ronaldo, who hmm. because he's gay, he doesn't want to play football because society is going to treat him. Yeah.
0: It's limiting their skill set. You know, maybe this is someone that they was born to be a footballer, but they have to find another sport. So it's, you know, the game's missing out. And it's it's, it's limiting opportunities it's a lose, for the lose. future generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that is something that really needs to hit home for the bigger governing bodies. Is like you're missing out and you can be really affecting our future generation with it. So if there was any advice that you would have for someone at grassroots level who are wanting to go on to a professional pitch and who may be fearing to come out at grassroots, what advice would you give them? I would just
1: say, look, you know, we will create that atmosphere and that ambience for a gay footballer to feel comfortable. Hmm. We haven't got there yet, fine, but it's a journey So please don't feel discouraged and don't feel disheartened if you happen to be gay and you want to play the sport. Do what you want to do, do what you have to do and the other things will just have to follow you.
0: Thank you so much, Amanda. Thank
1: you, Amy. Well, there you have it. You can
0: find in the description notes for this podcast links to the Justin Fashionu Foundation website and socials, so you can see some of the amazing work that Amal and her team are doing. Please do follow them on their socials and get involved in the conversation to help change the dialogue within the sport. I really hope that you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. It definitely made me step back and question how certain behaviors that we call banter and how it can have a real lasting effect on people. I've been lucky enough that these are not discriminations I've had to endure, but nevertheless, it doesn't mean I can't hold myself accountable for the behaviours. As Amal and I discussed, we know more now, and it's up to our generation to set the example to change the dialogue and ensure that we're creating a safe space for anyone to own and be proud to be who they truly are. Thank you for listening, and until next time.